Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Well, hey there. You're listening to Light Hustler. I'm your host, Anna David. I, ha- I help people share their dark to find their light. And that can mean so many things. Sometimes it means uh, I am helping people with their books. Sometimes it means I'm interviewing people about their darkest experiences. And sometimes it means I'm hosting a storytelling show and playing you one of the stories from that show, which is what you're going to hear today. This one's a super, super big treat. It's somebody that... Um, I kind of was like, let's just say vaguely obsessed with in the early aughts, I believe, is when he was hosting Celebrity Fit Club and wearing these caftans. And I just thought he was the funniest person I'd ever met. And then then I met him in recovery and and hid the fact that I was stalking him a little bit as a friend. Kept kind of trying to get other people to, hey, let's all hang out together. Anyway, he very kindly uh, accepted that behavior from me. We became friendly. I was on his podcast. Why don't I stop teasing and tell you his name is Ant. It's capital A-N-T. None of that lowercase stuff. Ant the comic. You're going to get a full intro to him um, in a second when I play you the recording from the live show. But he's just truly like one of the funniest humans uh, that God has blessed the earth with. Now, he is somebody who shares his dark to find his light. He has been a huge comedian for years and years and years. And as he was struggling with uh, addiction, he began to use that as material. Um, he's given a lot of interviews about this, but he has material, he says, that's uh, about how he's been arrested so many times in Van Nuys that the cops invite him to their Christmas party. Now, when asked, why does he do that? Because that's really the question. Why do any of us tell people our darkest shit? What he said uh, when he was on The Doctors is, when I help people, my life gets bigger and I get out of myself which is often what drove me to drink or use. And he also does it because he wants to encourage people to not be so hard on themselves. So you heard it from him. Now you're going to hear how he does it. This is from my live storytelling show that takes place uh, the last Friday of every month in Los Angeles. If um, you want to make sure that you find out when the next one is, we also broadcast them on Facebook Live. Why don't you take my quiz? Then you'll be added to the newsletter list. Uh, Go to lighthustler.com quiz. It's the quizzes, should you be sharing your story? And if you're listening to this, 
I'm kind of thinking you should. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to give you Ant. I am going to bring up our final performer. I'm so excited about this one. Um, he has been a regular guest on The Tonight Show. He, uh, he's been on Tyra Banks. He is the only comedian to appear on every season of Last Comic Standing. Um, oh, yeah. Um, he, he, oh, he was the host of Celebrity Fit Club, which I was as obsessed with as I was Sex and the City. Um, he has a hit podcast called Second Chances, where people talk about the second chances they've had in life. Much like this show, please give it up for the comedian Ant. Wow, what an intro. I'm bringing my keys because white people steal. That seat's open over there. Oh, so I didn't know this was gonna be like stories about like recovery. You all did apparently. And I'm really concerned I'm gonna get chlamydia from this microphone too. Has anybody else thought about that while everybody was up here talking really? Like, is his lips gonna touch the thing? Is he gonna touch it? Does she have any more of that powder left? Like, what's going on with that? So, we're supposed to go from dark to light, but I told Anna when I got here, I'm like, I'm really fucking dark. I mean, first of all, I'm wearing a tent. If anybody, I don't know, I've gained a few pounds, all right, in the 70s, and I haven't been able to shake them. And when you gain weight in Los Angeles, you might as well be Frodo's ring of invisibility. I'm gay, I'm fat, and I'm over 40 with no hair. And you love me. And there's a liar working a shitty program. I went to the doctor and I was just like, well, first of all, okay, here's how you can tell if you're fat and over 40 in the gay community. I go into my doctor's office, Dr. Reitman, and I go, doc, I just, I'm just here for an HIV test. And he goes, you're negative. <laughs> Pretty sure you're supposed to take blood or something. And he goes, I want to talk to you about your weight. And I said, me too. We need to run some tests because someone said to me, you know, I think you have a thyroid problem. I ran with it. I was like, I need you to test my thyroid because that's clearly it. He ran all the tests. I got, I, this was two weeks ago. He ran every test. He calls me and he goes, I need you to come in for your results. I go, okay, so I go in, he goes, listen, I got all the results back. It turns out you're a fat pig. <laughs> this is a quote. He goes, you're morbidly obese. I go, I'm morbidly obese? He goes, according to the insurance charts, you are morbidly obese. I said, okay, well, I'm gonna drop 20 pounds. He goes, all right, well, then you'll just be fat. So I'm like, wait a minute, I have to work my ass off to go from being morbidly obese to fat? And he goes, yeah, you need to lose like 60 pounds. Do I look like I need to lose 60 pounds? I'm not asking the gay people. Let me ask the straight people with myopia. Where are the blind, where are the, where are the people with glaucoma that are here for the, new, the newcomers? Welcome to the newcomers. This is what you have to look forward to. This is seven years. 
So go from dark to light. Oh, I don't know. You know what? I, I grew up in New Hampshire, the whitest state in the nation. Our foreign exchange students were from Detroit. That's a true story. And, uh, and Jackie and Mavis Brown were our foreign exchange students from Detroit, these two twin black girls. And thank God they moved to town. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Because I used to be called faggot and queer and sissy and I used to be stuffed into lockers and stuff. But when Jackie and Mavis came to my high school, my fucking life changed because those two black girls, they took a liking to this little queen and they fucking protected my ass, right? Like one time Dave McLean was trying to stuff me in my locker and all of a sudden out of blue, out of the blue, I heard and they grabbed him by the nape of the neck and they hurled him into outer space and he exploded. That's a true story. But growing up in New Hampshire, there was nothing to do except drink, go to the power lines, and lie about sleeping with Julie Breezy. That was it. Drink, go to the power lines, and lie about speaking, uh, sleeping with Julie Breezy. And uh, I gotta tell you, uh, nobody ever talked to us about alcohol growing up in New Hampshire. Nobody ever talked to us about alcohol, ever. And so my alcoholism progressed like everybody else's, and I started browning out, and then I started blacking out, right? And I would wake up in a cornfield, and sometimes I'd have a shirt on, or no shirt, pants, no pants, a shoe, no shoe, right? I wouldn't know what time it was, what day it was, or how I got there. Right? Pretty normal. You all understand that, right? There was a show on television growing up called In Search Of, and it was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Okay? And every week it was about close encounters of the third kind, close encounters of the second kind, people who have seen aliens, people who have talked to aliens, people who've been abducted by aliens. And one time I'm at home and I'm watching the show, and there's a guy looking right at the camera, and he's like, Here's how you can tell if you've been abducted because you wake up in strange places in various states of undress and you have no idea how you got there. And I thought, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm 17 years old, right? I sit both my parents down and go, you're not gonna believe this. A superior alien race has been abducting me for study. They put me in therapy. They put me in therapy. And never once did the shrink go, are you drinking? Never once. Not once did he go, are you drinking? Because that would have just changed my entire life. I could be married with three kids right now if someone just asked me that fucking question just once. <sighs> so my drinking progressed. I moved to Los Angeles because as uh, Allie said, uh, Vermont was the problem. Well, I wasn't living in Vermont, but it was also the problem. And... Uh, so I moved to LA and I'm at a gay club at 3.30 in the morning called The Probe. That is the name, The Probe. The lesbians call their bars Feathers, The Palms. The gay men are like Probe, Ramrod, Shaft. And this gorgeous Nordic Latino <laughs> named Dean looks at me, it's 3.30 in the morning, goes, you look a little tired. I'm like, it's 3.30 in the morning, I'm exhausted. And he puts this thing under my nose and he goes, inhale deep. And it was the first time I ever did crystal methamphetamine. And I gotta tell you, the next thing that happened is sort of a blur. It's all strobe lights and the next thing I know, I'm shirtless, I'm on a box, I'm holding two flags and I'm doing this. <laughs> like a KLM flight attendant. I'm like. And I can't stop. <laughs> I cannot stop. I'm gonna fast forward to the first time I was 5150'd. which is different than a 5250. How many of you know what a 5250 is? Okay, those are my fucking meth addicts. 
5250 is a one-week involuntary hold. A 5150 is a 48-hour involuntary hold. The first time I was 5150, I was 5150. They sent me to UCLA Medical Center. I highly recommend that one. The one in Torrance is a shithole. Yeah. And nothing interesting happened while I was there except when they let me out and they were giving me back my belt and my shoelaces. <laughs> they said, do you want your vacuum cleaner back? <laughs> this is all true. Apparently, I was not willing to give it up. <laughs> and when I checked out, I literally walked out with my Hoover vacuum. I, um, welcome newcomers. Oh God. I got all the promises of the program the first time I got sober. I've been sober twice. This time it's stuck. Uh, it's like liposuction. I've had it seven times. It just didn't take. Um, I'm going to lose the weight. I kid you not. I swear to God, I'm going to lose the... I'm going to go to fucking Africa and lick dirty ass to get a parasite. That's how desperate I am. Don't go, uh, until you've tried it. When that fucking little guy, like, ran across the border from North Korea and they found all those parasites and people were mortified, I was like, lucky. Fuck. Look how thin he was. Surprised he had the strength to make it across the border. That's why I hate you vegan people. I hate the vegans. I do. I don't even know you have the strength to be here. I have this friend. I have a friend. She's vegan. She goes, I go, why are you vegan? And she's like, well, I really love animals. And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. What's your favorite animal? She's like, I like dogs and cats. And she goes, what's your favorite animal? Steak. Steak. It's delicious. So first time I was in the program, I got all the cash and prizes. I had everything. Oh my God, I was on TV. I was making millions of dollars. Life was so great. I had a boyfriend with a big dick. Had to be home every day at four o'clock to burp it. I mean, it was fucking gorgeous. I mean, it was big. I mean, this is nothing. For real, big. So I threw the program out the window because it had to go. Because <laughs> I got everything I wanted. Right? I couldn't buy any more vowels. I had everything. And um, <laughs> it's a funny story about Richard. So my partner's name was Richard. And at the time, I was really good friends with Kirstie Alley. And I'm going to pick up that name. I've dropped myself. Uh, <laughs> but I was really good friends with Kirstie Alley. And Kirstie Alley is the cheapest motherfucker. I mean, it's like, I don't even think it's Scientology. She's just cheap. And uh, so she's never even bought me a cup of coffee. So Richard and I are living in my fabulous home up in the Hollywood Hills, just off of Laurel Canyon Boulevard. And I get a phone call from Kirstie Alley on a late Saturday night. And she goes, I want to take you to brunch, you and Richard. And I said, when you say you want to take me and Richard to brunch, do you mean you're going to pay to take me and Richard? And she says, yeah, it's on me and Parker. And I was like, okay, we're going, great. I was so excited, right? Because she's never bought me a cup of coffee. And I've known her for like 15 years. So we hop in the car. We, we take Mulholland Drive to Laurel Canyon. And we're driving down Laurel Canyon. And Richard's driving my car. 
And all of a sudden, he sees something on the side of the room, and he slams the brakes on, right? I'm like, right? Now, mind you, we're backing up traffic on Laurel Canyon Boulevard. He gets out of the driver's side. He runs down into the ditch, and he comes back holding what I think is a rat. I go, oh, my God, what is that? He goes, I think it's a cat, and it's in trouble. I said, throw it out. Someone else will help it. This is L.A. Those crazies are everywhere. He goes, no, this is an animal. It's in need and it needs us. I go, Kirstie Alley's never paid for shit. She needs us too. <laughs> he always used that big dick against me too. He goes, look, if we don't help this cat, you're not touching this dick. I go, that cat needs our help. Now, it's Sunday, right? So the nearest vet that I know that's open on Sunday is Miller Animal Hospital, right next door to the log cabin in West Hollywood, right? He goes, we got to take it to Miller. I go, it's a Sunday. Maybe it'll hang on till Monday. Because it's a 20% upcharge on all the veterinary services on a Sunday, right? Because those vets are not cheap, right? I go, okay, look it. Here's what we're going to do, because we can still make brunch. You're going to pull up to Miller. I'm going to run in. I'm going to throw the cat over the threshold, hop back into the car, and we can be at Maxim's by 930, right? I run in. I fucking put that cat on the counter. I go, this cat's really sick. And she goes, we got your license plate number. <laughs> well, what does that mean? She goes, you can't just drop off a cat. There's no good Samaritan law for animals. <laughs> well, that's rude. <laughs> I said, what does that mean? She goes, you have to stay here till the vet sees the cat. I was like, oh, for Christ's sakes, right? So we're sitting in there. Now, I've missed fucking brunch, and I'm really angry. This is before cell phones, so I couldn't even call her. On okay, we had flip phones, but fuck it, I wasn't going to call her. <laughs> fuck it. I was helping a cat. So the vet finally sees the cat, right? He's back there for like 15, 20 minutes, comes out and says, oh, you're not going to believe this. I go, the cat has kidney stones. I said, get the fuck out of here. Cats can get kidney stones? He goes, yeah. He goes, and I can use the ultrasound machine and I can dissolve the kidney stones and the cat will be fine. That's why it's in bad shape and it's making the sounds. Because it was making the sound. Like it was like hideous. And I said, oh my God, that sounds great. I go, how much is that? He goes, $1,500. How much to kill the cat? $18. It's only $18 to kill the cat. It's a lot of brunch. Richard goes, we're not going to kill that cat. You're rich. You can afford to help that cat. I go, I'm not paying $1,800 or $1,500 to fucking take kidney stones out of a cat. I go, there's got to be some other way. Is there a lesbian here? Because they have ulterior homeopathic ways. Sure enough, a lesbian nurse comes bouncing out wearing a tool belt, right? And she, this is true. And she goes, you know what you can do? You can take the cat home, and if you massage the cat's penis, it turns out it's a male cat. She goes, it'll soften up the stones, and the cat will pat. And I said, hold on a second. I go, I've missed brunch with Kirstie and Parker, who apparently has a bigger dick than Richard, so you can tell me to take this cat home and masturbate it? And she goes, pretty much. Do you want to save $1,500? So we're at my loft downtown. <laughs> Now the cat understands what's going on and really has bonded with Richard, but hates me at this point. Richard is on the couch and he's doing this, and I can see it. And the cat is fucking taunting me. I'm like, fucking cat! 
That's what I called it, by the way, fucking cat, because we had to name it. He called it Snowflake. I called it fucking cat. And he's like, and Richard's like masturbating. Now I'm pissed off because I'm thinking, I didn't get that this morning. Right? All of a sudden, the cat's like, and Richard goes, oh my God, it passed the stone. Do you want to see it? I go, not unless it's a diamond. After that cat passed that fucking stone, he started eating. He started meowing again. He started being like a cat. We took it. We had it bathed and de-disgusted. I mean, it was disgusting. Oh my God. It was, it had like, I mean, even like fleas were like, I'm not touching that. I mean, it was hideous cat, right? But that's why he named it Snowflake because it was this giant white fur thing, right? It was huge. It was the biggest thing you'd ever seen in your whole life, right? And we overfed it. And he, well, he overfed it, you know, and he kept, and when he would get a job, he'd be like, listen, I'm leaving. Don't kill my cat. I'm like, how dare you? Because he knew I hated that cat, right? So one day he was working production and he was working those long, long hours. I got home from the set early. I walk into the house and the cat is sitting at the front door as if to greet me. Now I was like, is this a trick cat? Because cats are tricky. They're conniving, they're tricky, like you'll be patting them and all of a sudden they'll turn around, bite you and run. That's tricky, right? Don't trust a cat. But the cat's like And I got, was like, I was hypnotized, I was like, Cat, what's up? And I'm by myself in the house talking just like this. I'm like, Cat, what's your angle? <laughs> Literally, I'm talking like that to this fucking cat. And then it starts doing this figure eight between my legs. I'm like, this is a tricky cat. cat. And then it does that look. The six blinks, right? You all know that one? And I went, do you want me to pick you up, cat? Because this is weird, right? I pick the cat up, I kid you not. I start patting it. I thought, oh my God, I misjudged you. You're really a loving cat. It just took you time to, for me to grow on you. And then it turned over and I was rubbing its tummy and Richard said, anytime an animal turns itself upside down and exposes it, it means it trusts you. And I was like, Right? And then it turned itself back over. The fucking cat died in my arms. I'm like, cat? I tried CPR on the fucking cat. I put my mouth over its nose and the whiskers and the thing, right? And its little fucking fangy fangs. And I was like, <laughs> they don't blow up like in the Simpsons cartoons, right? He was gonna be home any minute now and I'm in a panic at this point, right? So I'm thinking, oh my God, he keeps accusing me of wanting to kill the cat. Now the cat's really dead. How am I gonna get out of this one, right? Oh, thank God we're sober. I brought it in the room and I started to pose it because it started to get hard. And I took out its little tongue. <laughs> I shut its eyes, right? Now, its tail wouldn't go down, so I had to break it in nine places. <laughs> I'm kidding, just making sure you're still with me. And I pose it. <laughs> this is all true. 
Two hours go by. I'm in the living room watching that cat go, please don't tip over. Because it like got really like rigor sets in fast on those little felines. He comes home. Now, I'm, I, at this point, I'm thinking, maybe get a bottle of Ambien out, splash it around and act like I'm dead. So at least that shock might be worse than seeing a dead cat in our bed. <laughs> he comes home. He see, I pretend to be asleep on the couch. He walks into the bedroom. He pats the cat. I'm like this. He comes in, lays back behind me. Everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. And then I do the, oh, hi, baby. He goes, did you kill my cat? <laughs> How dare, no. Why is the cat dead? And he goes, the cat's dead. <laughs> oh my God. That's terrible. I swear I didn't kill it. Are you okay? You sounded like the cat when he had the when he had the stones. Here's the gifts of the program. He gets diagnosed. My partner gets diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I know. Don't worry. I'm going to get to light soon. How, do I? Is anybody timing me? By the way, I feel like I've been up here for an hour. No? Okay. So uh, he gets diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He loses a lot of weight. We put him in hospice. And he, had the, and he taught me more about, uh, let me tell you about our first date. So our first date, Richard says to me, Aunt, where do, you, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? I said, oh, that's easy. I want another television show, more money, another car, and uh, two more houses. How about you? He goes, I just want to be nicer to people and closer to God. I go, don't interrupt. And I'd like to be nicer to people and closer to God. <laughs> that's our fucking first date, right? You know what he did for a living before I took him out of it? <laughs> oh, that doesn't make me look very good, actually. I go, what do you do for work? He go, he says to me, what do you do for work? I go, I tell dick jokes for a living. I go, what do you do? He's like, I help developmentally disabled children. I know. I was like, and on the weekends, I go to City of Hope and tell dick jokes to children who are dying. Fucking every turn, he was always better than me. He was nicer than me. It was everything was so much every 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 right. So he's dying, and palliative care doctor comes in and says, "Look, you know, it's probably going to be tonight." And I was just like, "Okay, I've been, you know, I'm ready for this. I'm so ready for this. I'm ready for this." And he musters up all of the strength he can before he slips into a coma, and he goes. And I lean down, and I think he's going to say to me, you know, I've loved you. And, and he looks at me, and he goes, did you kill the cat? <laughs> this is literally nine years later. And I said, yes. No, I said, no, of course I did not kill the cat, but there's a moral of that story, right? Never let a pussy get in the way of you and your boyfriend. That's the moral of that story. So I guess I should not end on that. <laughs> you guys are so loving and then you take it all away. Do you feel that? <laughs> I felt that just a second ago. What happened to the AA fucking love? 
So I'll end on this note. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll end on a... My father was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and he died three years ago this past March. And when he was diagnosed, I was sober. And I was like, really sober. Like, I'll be seven next month on the 20th, me willing, right? Thank you. I'll take the clap. She's had chlamydia. I'll take the clap. And... Um, one of the things you get to do when you're sober is you get to show up for your life and you get to show up for other people's lives. And you might not think that that's something that you want, but if you stay sober long enough, it becomes something that you need and that you crave, right? So when my dad was diagnosed, my mom called me and she didn't have the tools and she didn't have the resources and she didn't have the means and the ways to do it. And I was taught step up because it's not about me, right? So I started going and I started taking care of my dad. And my dad... Uh, would start as men or women or anybody starts getting closer to death, they start reevaluating life and they start looking and seeing what's really important. And his family became very, very, very important. And one day I'm standing in the hospital and I was, and I would stay at the hospital overnight. I had the night shift and we had it so that my father was never without a family member the entire time he was sick. There was always one of us was always there. That was the design. And I took the night shift because every night at like two or three in the morning, he would get up and he would start talking to ghosts and he would start talking to dead people and, and, and the brain tumor would flare up and all of a sudden I wasn't his son anymore. I was his sister, Carol, right? Or other times I was his sister, Loretta, or one time I was Diane Carol and I'm not even black, right? <laughs> but that's the brain tumor, right? And sometimes he would say, you know, we don't ever talk. And I got really scared the first time he said that. And I remember running out of the room and calling my sponsor and saying, my dad wants to have the talk, right? And I'm not sure if it's our sex talk or if it's like, the, and my sponsor said, you get back in that room and you let that man unburden his soul because it's not about you, it's about him. And that's exactly what I did. I went into that room and my father said to me first time, this is the big talk. He goes, was I a good dad? Right. I go, yeah, you were a good dad. He goes, no, seriously, was I a good dad? I'm like, yeah, you were a good dad. He goes, well, can you give me an example of when I was? Okay, okay, I can, I, I can give you one. Sure. I go, growing up in school, you were always the coach of ours. So I grew up in a small town, Lenadary, New Hampshire. You were always the coach of all of our teams. Always, right? Baseball, football, flag football, basketball. I go, you put me on every fucking team. Every team. In baseball, my outfit was always the whitest and the crispest white, not a stain on the fucking thing, right? Ever. Ever. And my dad, every year, would go, listen, don't worry. I'm going to put you so far out left field, we're going to call that position left out. That's how far out you're going to be, right? Okay, the straight men are back. All right. So there I am, way out in left field, so far out. And he goes, don't worry, the ball will never come to you. And I believed him. I brought a nail file with me. I, I was this gay all the time. I had a nail file with me, and that Christmas I had just gotten brand new glasses, which I'm pretty sure were fake, but they said Gucci on them, because my, my mom was like, you're not gay, but here Gucci. <laughs> so I've got these great sunglasses on, I'm out there, I'm filing my nail, Billy Wallachevitz gets up to bat. Now, mind you, he's like a seven-year freshman, okay? The ball comes, he makes contact with the ball, and the ball starts coming to me, and I see my father yelling, get under the ball! Get under the ball! And I'm like this. Right? The ball starts coming to me. I drop my nail file. I go, these are Gucci! <laughs> and the ball just drops, and I walked away from it. <laughs> the look on his face was so disappointing. I said, Dad, why? Why did you put me on those teams when you knew I was more musical? <laughs> right? And you know what you learn when you're sober, when you get to have conversations like that? My dad looked at me, and he said, you know, 
I put you on that team because your mom said that she wouldn't give me oral sex if I didn't. Dad, as a gay man, I'm a big fan of oral sex. I go, why don't you just tell me that? He goes, you don't tell a nine-year-old your wife's going to stop blowing you if your son doesn't put an outfit on. And he said to me, he said, uh, as he started getting sicker and sicker, he said, I want you to be the power of attorney over my health care. I said, Dad, that's mom's job. Why do you want me to do that? He said, I see how you've grown in Alcoholics Anonymous. He goes, and you've gone from worst to first. Yeah, you've gone from worst to first. He said, so I know I trust your mother will do everything in her power to keep me alive no matter what I say. He said, but I know you will kill me. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the rest of the night.